Our scripture passages come from Revelations 22, 1 through 2, Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12, and John 7, 37. That is a lot of scriptures, so <laughs> hallelujah. As Naomi mentioned, our first passage will be Revelation 22, verses 1 through 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Ezekiel 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate that faces toward the east, and behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through. For the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into Araba and enters the sea. And when the river flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be many fish, very many fish. For this water goes out there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Enegleum. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of many, very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are, not, they are to be left for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. But they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water from them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. The last passage is John seven thirty-seven through 38, which says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. 
For as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Well, good morning, Calvary. You guys braved a lot of things to be here. It's good to see you all. Um, if I've never met you, my name is John Lambeth, and I'm the pastor for Family Discipleship and Education here. And uh, it's a privilege to be with you here this morning. I know a lot of you are watching from home on our live stream, being perhaps sick or quarantined. So we're glad you're here with us this morning as well. In fact, the reason that I'm preaching uh, was a last-minute substitution with Pastor Gerald, uh, as several of his family went down this week. So we got our youth, uh, youth Pastor Sunday after all. Here I am. So we can be praying for a speedy recovery for them as well as all of those you know that are uh, perhaps sick this morning as well. And even though it was a bit of a shorter notice, uh, it wasn't hard for me to decide what to preach on, because I had already been thinking all week, even before Gerald let me know I was up, on this one passage that we looked at last week, from the end of the story of the Bible in the book of Revelation. And I was just thinking and meditating on this river in Revelation chapter 22, that comes out of the city of God, or the bride, and flows out into the world. And maybe it's because I love rivers personally. I mean, I uh, had a whitewater kayaking phase, which I had to grow out of when I started having kids and didn't want to, you know, uh, make my wife a widow. But um, I just love being in the water. I love going down the river, feeling like I'm one with it. You know, you see the, the, the banks pass you by. And the noises, and I just think a river and the sounds that a river make is just a universal metaphor for peace and grace and life. It tells us that there's something alive in the world, um, even amidst the chaos that we, we face. So a river flowing struck me as such a beautiful end to the story of the Bible. And it's fitting that the river in Revelation actually makes full circle it comes from earlier in the Bible, and it actually ends with us and a call to us as a church. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I want us to take the journey uh, of this river. So let me pray for our time together before we get started. Father, we thank you that we are here looking forward to a new year ahead of us. And though we don't know what 2022 might bring, we know that you are Lord you have brought us safe thus far, and we ask for your blessings ahead, Lord. And this morning, we pray that you would speak through your word into our hearts, that you would be a hammer to break the hard parts of our hearts, and that you would call us to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to start, and we're going to work our way from this river in Revelation back through that interesting passage in Ezekiel to our lives right now. So hang with me. But I want us to start at the end. So we've been in Revelation the last few weeks. We're going to spend a little bit more time there this morning. And I want to tell the end of the story of the Bible with the, the idea of a wedding. An idea of a wedding. So if you read Revelation 19 through 22, you can kind of see that it's a wedding story. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, the wedding invitation goes out. John will write, Blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And then in chapters 19 and 20, the bridegroom, Jesus, comes down and he clears the way for the wedding. He, he brings an end to the fatal infection of sin on earth and redeems all of creation into this new heavens and new earth, which is a fitting home for his bride, the people of God. And then we wait. And then the climax of the story happens in Revelation 21, and all of creation stands at attention, and the bride comes down the aisle, the heavenly bride, to her home prepared by the bridegroom. And just as a quick side note, this is why universally we love weddings. These stories are in our bones. It's how we are wired up. We love these pictures of bride and groom coming together, her beauty, his joy. And so the rest of the story in chapter 21 describes her beauty. She's covered in jewels. Her streets are made of gold. She shines as the light of the world, filled with the glory of God. And then in chapter 22, at the very end, a river flows out from her, the source of the river being the throne of the Lamb in the middle of the city. And this river, along with the tree of life, which grows in it, brings the joy and healing of Christ to the whole world. Perhaps some of you, when you hear this told again, you're reminded of the Garden of Eden with the river in the garden that watered it alongside the tree of life. And so here at the end, we see the restoration of this garden temple vision and the full completion of of the story of God with us. God is with his people. So here's what I was thinking about. I was like, why is there a river? Why does it end with this river? And um, if you're familiar with the Bible, you might know that the Bible often talks about rivers as a symbol or a sign that represent life and joy to God's people. So you might know Psalm 1 where it says, He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season. Or what we read earlier, Psalm 46, which says, There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Or Isaiah 66, which says, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And what was striking to me was that even in the new heavens and new earth, even at the end of the story, when evil's been defeated, there's still a river flowing out of God's people. I think that's just what God does. He's always overflowing. He's always giving. And there's always this pouring out of God's love and blessing towards his world, towards his creation. And like so many things, and yeah, like so many things that God is bringing about, we don't have to wait to Revelation chapter 22 to start experiencing these things now. The New Testament teaches us over and over again that while we wait on the fullness of the kingdom, the kingdom has already broken in. So the Bible tells us a lot that there's these already but not yet tensions all over Scripture. So a couple of examples. Scripture says that we await our adoption as sons, and yet we are already adopted and should live as our new identity as children of God. Or it will say that we are awaiting the resurrection of the body, but we are also already raised and seated with Christ and that there's a new life inside of us. The Bible says that one day God will destroy the works of the devil, but we already, as his church, are trying to do that right now. 
And here we see that one day God's church will be the perfect dwelling place of God. And a river will flow out of her and continually sustain God's world. But we don't have to wait for the river because it's already flowing in us. That's what we're going to look at today. And I think God loves to see these small beginnings of his kingdom in his, in his children. I know that, you know, I'm a father, I have three kids, and my children have recently started taking piano lessons. And I'm average at piano, but I've been playing for a long time. And so it's fun for me, it gives me a lot of joy, actually, to teach them a little something on piano and then watch them try and try and try, and then eventually they'll get it. And when I see my love for piano flowing through them, even though it's not the full version of what they could be, even as little children, I love it. It brings me a lot of joy. And I think that's how our Father feels about us. He loves to see these first fruits of what he has promised us start flowing today. And this is why I love this passage in the book of John so much. Jesus says in John chapter 7, which we read a few minutes ago, that we don't have to wait until he comes back for his life to be flowing into the world. He sees a river of living waters in his people even right now. And so when you read that, the question might come to your mind, where did Jesus get this from? Because he clearly didn't read the book of Revelation. That was not an option. It hadn't been written yet. So what was he thinking about in John chapter 7 when he's at this feast and he yells this message to the Jews? What was on his mind? And I think to understand him, we need to take a quick look at a less read part of the Bible, the book of Ezekiel, near the end. And so this is our passage, the longer passage read earlier, of Ezekiel 47. And we're, when you join, when you start reading the end of Ezekiel, you, you hit this really long section of all these details that Ezekiel sees in this vision of this new final temple that God wants to build. And it reminds you a lot of the book of Revelation when you read it, because you have another temple with another river, and both of these books are written by prophets who are in exile. They both had visions and saw the throne of God. They both were told to eat a book. They both measure the temple city complex. Yeah, read it. And uh, they both see a river coming out of this, this city temple. And in Ezekiel's vision, the river flows with this healing, living water. You read, and as the river comes out, it's just a little trickle from the altar. And then it flows, and the further it goes, the opposite of a normal river, the further it goes, the deeper it gets, the more powerful it gets. And everywhere that it goes, life bursts out wherever it touches. So it eventually flows into the Dead Sea. And if you're familiar with the Dead Sea in the Bible, the Dead Sea is dead uh, because there's so much salt in it, right, that nothing can live there. And then when the river hits the Dead Sea, life bursts out of the Dead Sea and fish start growing there and living there. And then all along the banks of the river, all the way down to the Dead Sea, fruit trees grow up on the banks. So it's this amazing vision of life flowing out. And Ezekiel was painting a picture of this age of the Messiah. That's what he's looking forward to, this age of the Messiah when God will redeem and restore his creation. God's presence will be in this new temple that Ezekiel sees, and life will flow out of it, and it's going to heal the world. 
and this is just what God does. It was reminding me some of, of thinking about, like, where have I seen this? And sometimes when I get to work with students, you get to see life blossom in students. Not always. Sometimes it's already blossomed by the time they get to me. They get to me. And sometimes it's yet to have blossomed, and I, we're all kind of waiting and hoping. But occasionally, you, you'll meet a student, and then the gospel will click. They'll trust in Christ, and you see life blossom inside of them, that this river starts flowing. It reminds me of Ezekiel. All these dead places inside of them, all these places of hurt and, and pain, you start seeing those stories get redeemed, and it's really rewarding. I hope you've seen that before, too. So thinking about this picture that Ezekiel gives us, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning back in the book of John, looking at what Jesus says here at the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7, starting with verse 37 through 39. So if you want to join me there, we'll be there the rest of the time uh, with Jesus at the feast talking about a river. So Jesus, at this point in the story in John, has come down from Galilee to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was a major Jewish holiday. It was a big festival. And so Jesus comes a little bit later than everyone else, and he kind of sneaks in and, uh, and comes to see what's going on. And I think kind of as a aside, it's fair to say that Jesus has a complicated relationship with the temple. Because in some ways... He loves it because the temple represents all that God wanted to be in the world through the people of Israel. The temple was supposed to be where God dwelled and his presence would flow out and bless the nations. But when Jesus comes, the temple is full of hypocrisy and corruption and the pharisaical laws and rules and greed had come to dominate the temple complex. And so Jesus, uh, sometimes he's... Uh, happy to be there, but a lot of times he's a little stormy, right? One time he makes a whip and, and chases everyone out of the temple. And this time he comes and he's teaching and he's kind of causing a stir. He's provocative. He, uh, he's calling out the leadership and he's casting a different vision. And there's thousands and thousands of people here. All these pilgrims are in town. And this goes on and goes on. This is a seven-day feast. And by the end of the period, as we approach the last day, Jesus is a wanted man. The Pharisees in verse 32 are making plans to arrest Jesus if they can catch him. So he's kind of on, he's, he's hiding out. And that kind of sets up our story really nicely. So we're here, it's the last day of the feast. Jesus is in the crowds, laying low, making sure nobody sees him. And as part of the celebration of the Feast of Booths, the, every day the, the priest would take a golden pitcher and he would walk down to the pool of Siloam out of the temple. He'd bring the water back in. He'd hold it up. Everybody would be very quiet. And then he'd pour the water onto the altar. And everyone would go nuts and cheer and celebrate. And the people in the crowd would be holding uh, citrus fruit in their left hand to represent the bounty and the fruit and the blessing of God. And they'd be holding tree branches in their right hand. And they would follow the priest down to the pool and back. And, uh, and they would celebrate so much so that one ancient writer who writes about this says, if you haven't seen the Feast of Booths, you've never even seen a party in your whole life. So it was wild. And uh, the feast pointed back to the time of Exodus to remind the people of God's provision and the water from the rock. But it had also taken on the meaning of looking forward to the day that the Messiah would come and bring healing 
and peace to the world. So here we are, it's on the last day, the seventh day. And on the seventh day, the priest would do this journey to the pool, back to the altar. He'd do it seven times. And each time, he'd pour out the water, the crowd would go wild, and he'd go do it again. And they would follow him, the crowd would follow him to the pool, back to the temple. Down to the pool, back to the temple. The people would even recite Isaiah 12, 3, which says, with, with joy you draw water from the wells of salvation. And the word salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua. So it's the same word as Jesus, right? So it's all coming together. So just picture the scene in your mind from the eyes of Jesus. Here's the Messiah in his temple. He's standing in the already but not yet tension of what he came to bring in his first coming. And he's seeing the crowd holding leaves and fruit which represent the messianic age where the river will bless the world and bring about this new life. And he's seeing water trickling off the, off the altar, symbolizing the river that may one day come from the temple. And the people are saying that they're going to draw joy from the wells of Yeshua. And it's kind of a perfect storm for Jesus. And so even though he's a wanted man, even though he's trying not to get arrested, I think it's just too much for him to take. And so into the silence, in one of these seven journeys, you can imagine the priest holding up the pitcher, the crowd goes silent, and Jesus yells, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And it's a stunning scene, right, that the, there he is, arrest him, and he, he couldn't resist he had to speak up. What is he saying? He's saying that the Messiah is here. He's building the true temple. And if you come to him, you can be a part of the healing of the world that Ezekiel wrote about. So similar to what Jesus said back in John chapter 4 to the Samaritan woman, Jesus offers the crowds this living water that will become inside of them this River that not just takes care of their own thirst, but pours out for the healing of the world. Jesus wanted his people then to be rivers of joy to the nations, like they were always meant to be. Bursting with life, bringing healing. And he told them that the only way they could do it, the only way there would ever really be a river flowing from the temple of God, was if they came to him, their Messiah, and drank from the water that he offered them. So that's the picture in John. So I want to make two quick takeaways for us as we uh, start uh, our application portion here. Um, the first one is that the river here, John tells us, is the Holy Spirit. I want us to think about that. The river is the Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 7, verse 39. John writes, now he said this, that's Jesus, about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the river is the Spirit of God, which is going to be dwelling in his people and flowing out. And on top of that, the New Testament says often that we, the people of God, are the temple. Paul will write in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? That's you, plural, or God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you. So the river of God's spirit is flowing right now 
from the temple, which is the people of God, which is us. So the Spirit is eager to move through us as individuals and corporately this year to bring the life that can come by his work in the world. And so remember, the Spirit is pictured not as a lake, right, not as the water just pouring into a pool and sitting there, not as a moat that's protecting the city. The Spirit is pictured as a river, right, that, that, that God wants to work through us to make a difference in people's lives. He doesn't want us to pull back. He wants us to lean in. And that's the, that's the picture of a river, that the further you lean in, the deeper it gets. And at some level, and some of you might have experienced this, it gets so deep that you can't even keep your feet down anymore. You have to swim and see where God's going to take you. So what does this look like for us, to be very practical? The Bible says that the Spirit moves through us. It uses two metaphors or, or pictures. It says, the Holy Spirit's like fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you might have a memorized. And the fruit of the Spirit is the way that the Spirit is working inside of us to bring about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things that will flow out of us now because he lives inside of us. And the world really needs the fruit of the Spirit in us. And the other picture the Bible gives of the Spirit is the gifts of the Spirit. So that's sort of a special empowerment that works with who you are and yet is uniquely of God and is used to build up the kingdom, right? So if you're looking like me toward another year, and this has been a long two years, you might feel a little bit worn down. Um, I know a lot of us do. And so I want to give you a free New Year's resolution, right? That for whatever 2022 holds, I'm pretty optimistic about it, but for whatever comes, I want to commit myself, and I would encourage us all to commit ourselves to coming to God for nourishment and letting his spirit flow through us to, be, to bring life to others. And we need this because there's one thing I've learned in doing ministry for about a decade is that if you try to do ministry from a place of emptiness, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. At best, you will just be ineffective. At worst, you're pretty harmful, right? Because you actually are trying, instead of giving, you take, right? And you take like your self-esteem needs to be encouraged, or you need to feel important, or whatever it may be, you take, take, take. So we need to remember this, that the Spirit wants to well up inside of us and then flow out to where we can give. Okay, so that's the first takeaway. The Spirit is the river. And finally, our, our second and last point. If anyone thirsts, they may come without cost to Jesus. It's very simple. If anyone thirsts, they can come without cost to Jesus. And Jesus will transform something inside of them to become a river. And it's very interesting here in John that the word usually translated heart is not the Greek word for heart. It's not cardia. It's another Greek word called kolia. And kolia means the hollow place in the body. So sometimes it means the stomach because the food kind of falls down into the hollow place inside of us. Or sometimes it's translated as womb, because babies grow in the hollow place inside of women. But then it's used figuratively, this, this Greek word kolia, to represent the location of our desires. So the things we use to fill the void, right? So Paul will say of, of lost people that their God is their kolia. Their God is their desires. Their God is their stomach, their appetite. They're led throughout the world chasing this void inside of them, trying to fill it up with something. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, 
If you come to me, I will replace that void inside of you that you can't fill up. I will replace that with a river. Have you taken him up on that offer? It's totally free. And yet, it requires a certain kind of death, doesn't it? Maybe you have experienced this. In some ways, the gospel offer, as it first hits you, it feels like bad news. It, It makes you kind of... Wait, you want me to give up all these ways I've been coping with the pit inside of me? I think I'll die if I try that. And uh, some of us may feel like we, have a, we would have a lot to lay down. But it's good to remember that Jesus is offering us this joy. Um, thinking about this reminded me of a story that I experienced uh, several years ago. I was working in college at a summer camp in Missouri. And at the end of the camp, I had to drive 9 or 10 hours from Missouri back to where I lived at the time in Jackson, Mississippi. And it was going to be a really late night because I had gotten off at like 4 p.m. And so I'm driving along. Things are fine. I come to this really isolated spot in Arkansas. I even, this is true, I read a sign on the side of the road that says, prison area, don't pick up hitchhikers. I was like, okay. And there's just nothing around. It's cornfields, and I think there's some building way off the distance. might have been the prison. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. And then all of a sudden, my car starts acting really weird. It's jerking. It's it's stop, start, stop, start. It's still running, but and then the lights start flickering. So this is at night, and my headlights are flickering. So I get my phone out. I call my parents, and we we come to the conclusion that my alternator is going bad. Um, And I remembered at at that moment, I was like, oh, yeah, my friend borrowed my car two days ago, and he said it hit an armadillo really hard. And I bet that knocked out the alternator. So then I, you know, sputtering, flickering, and then my phone... I lose reception. So phone's not work. I'm in a dead zone. And so I turn off my headlights to save, and I turn off the air conditioning to save the battery. And I'm kind of sputtering down the road. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Um, and I, I was a little stressed. And then all of a sudden, I see these police lights behind me. All right. Um, and my first gut instinct response is like, oh, no, I just got pulled over. But immediately after that, I'm like, oh, yes, I just got pulled over. Right? <laughs> this is perfect. I'm saved. And so I was so excited to see the police that I, like, throw my door open. I'm like, hey. (laughs) And I've been sputtering down the road and swerving, trying to call, and they think I'm drunk. And so once I kind of allay their fears that I'm fine and my car was acting up, um, it all worked out, and they brought me to a hotel. And the next day, my dad helped me get a new battery, and I was was saved. Um, But perhaps that story reminds some of us this morning of what you feel like. You... You feel like you're running out of battery, right? And you feel the approaching steps of Jesus behind you. And you tense up because you're like, ah, the lights are like, I don't want to get caught, right? I don't want this to go down. But deep down you know that you're running out of rope. You're approaching the end of your own abilities to cope. You're thirsty. And laying down those, your attempts can feel like death. It can feel like You're at a loss, but out of that death, life comes and salvation comes. The living waters come into you, and that place of emptiness becomes a stream. So that might be some of you this morning. And for those of us who are Christians this morning already, I want us, as we close, to remember the words of Paul, where he says that we are Christ's ambassadors, that God is making his appeal through us. Through the Spirit inside of us, working through us. 
When John closes out the letter of Revelation to his listeners, he says, the spirit and the bride say come. And another way to say it is the the river and the city. The river is the spirit, the city is the bride. The people of God and the spirit, they invite others in. That what we are as a church and what the spirit is doing through you is a signpost, right? That they can follow the river of joy inside of you back up to the source, back to Christ. So that's a commission for us today as well, that as we head into a new year, the way we live our life can signal to people where is their joy in the world? Where can I find hope and peace? So I'm gonna pray for us and invite the band back up and then we're gonna celebrate communion together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for offering us this river of joy that we don't deserve. And Lord, we confess in all the ways which we tried to fill the void inside of our hearts with all the things of this world. And if we're honest with ourselves, it feels pretty empty when we do it. Lord, I I ask for myself, Lord, that you would help me trust in you and come to you to be filled for this year ahead, that even though we don't know what awaits us, that we know that you are there and that you have promised to be in us and working through us for the life of the world around us. Thank you, Lord, for this church. We lift up those who are sick and struggling at home. We pray that we can be a river of joy to them as well. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.